We're starting a new series on the gospel, the simple gospel unchanged. And what it is, it's a macro view of the book of Galatians. Now, we're all used to a microscopic view. You look at something and you dig into it and a microscope will bring something into clarity that's small. But sometimes when we read the Bible, we need to get a macro view. We need to, a macro uh, vision lens is, let's say you have a big group. Let's say we all lined up against the wall and we were going to take a group photo. A macro lens is, uh, or it looks like a fisheye lens almost, and it'll pick up everybody and you get to see the big picture. And so sometimes I love to teach where we look at a macro view. What's the author of this portion of scripture, or in this case, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of the book of Galatians. What is he trying to say? Because Galatians was written very earnestly and very passionately from the Apostle Paul to stop a false teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, lest you think we're going to just look at, at history and it doesn't relate to where we live today, the same problems that they faced in those days with not understanding how salvation really works and what the ramifications of that, those same problems we face today. It's so easy to take two different spin-offs from getting saved. One, I was always basically good, and God's kind of lucky to have me, and, and I bring gifts to the table, which would represent the Jewish view, okay? Or what Paul taught was salvation was utterly helpless people lost in their sin, dead to righteousness, spiritually dead were made alive through Jesus, and out of the consequence of that, they can live holy. Not in order to purchase it, but as a consequence of it. Now, as we look at this, there's nothing like if uh, we could all study this together. And the way that we can do that, so that you can get the macro view as well, is Galatians has six uh, chapters in it, and the non-Sunday, <laughs> non-Sundays are, you know, Monday through Saturday. There's six days that aren't Sunday, and I would encourage you for the next five weeks, read the book of Galatians. Read one chapter a day and get dosed on, on, on what the gospel really is, and we're going to spend time looking at, at Paul's teaching on the area of why he was so mad when people came in with the false gospel. Today I'm going to be handling chapters 1 and chapters 2. The author Timothy Keller said this about the book of Galatians. He said, the book of Galatians is dynamite. It's an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security, and satisfaction the life of blessing God calls his people into. It brings us face to face with the gospel. Many of us have heard that the, that the term gospel or, uh, you know, evangelion, you know, in, in the Greek means good news, okay? And that's why an evangel or an evangelist is someone who goes in and brings good news. 
The good news of the gospel is not that man is facing an imminent danger. Most people that I have met live their life with a sense of impending doom. The good news is there's a way we don't have to be destroyed. And secondly, we don't have to be under a weight of guilt that somehow we've got to climb this ladder to earn salvation or pay it forward or pay it back or that, that I'm going to take, you know, a bath before I take a shower. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus has done it for all of us. As the old hymn writer said this, that you have considered my, my, my helpless estate. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Pastor Frank DiMaggio, the leader of our, of our movement now, uh, Pastor Iverson was the, was the founder. Pastor Frank is, is the head of MFI. And he said something that I thought was fantastic as a definition of the gospel. The gospel is God welcoming you just as you are by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, remaking you and setting you on a path to an unimaginably, unimaginably great future. Wow. The gospel is God welcoming you just as you are. You know, sometimes folks come to church and, 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 and I'll hear them talk or they'll tell someone else, hey, I'm trying to clean up my act. Are you kidding me? I used to work in construction and, and, and one of the jobs I'd have was roofing. It didn't matter how long I soaked in the bathtub, I wouldn't get the tar off unless I used the proper solvent. And so before I would take my bath, or my shower preferably, I would break up that tar by kerosene or gasoline, and then I needed a shower. And then after, as an aftertouch, then even a bath to soak for my sore muscles. And that's really, the two-step of the gospel. You come in and you say, I'm helpless. I've never kept any rules in the past. I can lie and say I'm going to be perfect. And I, I, I promise, Lord, I'll never do that again. How many have made those promises and found out you're just another sinner in a different way? Now you're a liar. God's going to have to help me evaporate the swamp of compromise. And so what happens is, I, I like this. They say, before you take a bath, take a shower. Take a shower in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let that do the heavy lifting. Let your life be brand new. And then soak in the waters of sanctification where God's training you how to walk in the freedom that his righteousness gives you. And so I love what Pastor Frank says. It's the Lord welcoming you just as you are by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. Remaking you. Remaking you. It's not you reinventing yourself. Wow. Galatians was written as a letter to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which is present-day Turkey, by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote the letter because he saw a significant threat to the purity of the gospel message the Galatian Christians had received. They were being influenced by Judaizers. And I'm going to say this. There are Judaizers still around trying to bring us into various forms of the law. 
Well, you guys worship on Sunday. Well, we're keeping the Sabbath. You people eat pork. Well, the Old Testament calls it an unclean meat, and I'm vegetarian. I love vegetarians, but I travel mostly with meatitarians. <laughs> if you're vegetarian, God bless you. God bless you, no condemnation. It's not a religious discussion. Book of Colossians brings all kinds of warnings about worship of angels and those who, who say don't taste, don't touch, don't do this as a means of, of justifying themselves. And so we find here that Paul felt the weight of the Judaizers pressing against the, this fledgling group of gent, uh, Gentiles who were being saved by the gospel that he'd received from Jesus. And we're going to talk about that gospel. And so these uh, Judaizers believe that you had to keep the law of Moses specifically regarding circumcision in order to be a Christian. Paul reacts forcefully to this false gospel message and seeks to bring the Galatians back to a proper perspective of the gospel. Galatians 1 opens up verses 1 through 3 with a typical Pauline kind of a greeting. So we're going to start in the money uh, scriptures uh, for our purpose by looking at verses 4 and following. Chapter 1 and verse 4 of Galatians 1 in the uh, New Living Translation says this, Jesus gave his life for our sins. It wasn't a hobby. What are you into, Jesus? Man, I like getting whipped. My beard ripped. I like hanging on, on, on wood. No, Jesus was not a sadomasochist. He, he, he wept and cried bitterly for the rejection he had feel from the Father. The weight of sin being laid on him. And this is so important that that sin you and I and mankind have provided. Righteousness, we can't provide. We can receive. Sin, we can do that. And we have done that. And so Paul starts this out. He's going to defend the simple gospel. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever Amen. There is a major difference between Paul's gospel and the Jewish gospel. They felt you were justified by what you did or didn't do. And Paul had lived that life. And he said, no, no, no. I was doing all those things and I was still dead. Christianity is not about making bad men better, although it does that. Christianity is about making dead men alive. I don't know. I think we're going to preach today. I think we might have some shouting today. I know I'm going to cry. Because there's going to be a certain portion. I'm going to cry because I did last time. And, I, and it wasn't a show. It's, I'm moved by what Paul experienced and what I experienced at conversion. Jesus came to rescue us. If the gospel preached doesn't involve a rescue, but involves another treadmill, 
That's not the, the simple gospel. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, Paul said this, I am shocked. He wasn't one of these that just loved, like, impressive words for shock value. He said, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Watch this. From Paul's perspective, when we get on a religious, self-made, whether it's the Jewish laws, whether it's a certain denominational uh, groups uh, teaching, now watch this. Some of you may say, well, isn't like courting a law around here? No, it's not a law. You don't get saved by courting or not courting. We just make you feel like hell if you don't court. <laughs> not, not, that's not even true either. You can have standards in a church, and you can have standards in a family, but the means whereby you, you are right with God has nothing to do with those standards. Those standards deal with how do we walk with God to do good as a society and as a family, right? Like teaching my kids, and Kim did this, but teaching the kids to clean their bedroom didn't get them to heaven. But it did keep them from going to heaven soon so their mother didn't kill them. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about the difference between what it is to be right with God and then what it is to grow up with God. And so if, if you're confused and say, well, I go to a church that's got standards, that they must be legalists. No, they're not. It's when they start saying these things precede you being able to go to heaven. Any, any form that precedes the mercy of Jesus with, with a list of things that you got to do to get yourself fixed up, that's the kind that Paul is dealing with. And when you turn from just faith in Jesus to another form of being right, Paul considers that to be turning away from God. And he says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone. So I'm going to teach you how Paul knew how to Christian cuss. It's, it's, it's vacation time, and so I'm already preparing to play cribbage um, and some of the games at, when we go camping, and I already know how to Christian cuss and get away with it. So if someone beats me at cribbage, I just say, you uncircumcised Philistine. Don't raise your hand or your cards against God's anointed. And so we all need to learn how to, how to use the Bible for these things. Okay, this is the joke part. Okay, it's not funny, but it was funny to me. Okay, but Paul is in earnest saying, let, let anyone be accursed or be cursed by God. May God damn to hell. That's a pretty rough word. That's a rough concept. That's why we're not supposed to say GDU. That's considered heavy blasphemy. A Christian should never tell another being 
God dang you to hell. Only God determines heaven and hell. And Paul is saying this, this is heavy. After he said, I'm shocked, he goes, let God damn someone to hell on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. How many of you think that as we, we, we dial into this, we're going to find out that Paul wasn't just blowing smoke up our skirt. He was trying to let us understand this is pivotal to what God had shown him. And so he says, again, I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, then the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed or accursed. Verse 10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's service. We're going to go and just reference the next 11 or 12 verses in this chapter because Paul is talking about why he does not follow the fear of man. I've been thinking of this reason, reason, uh, recently. I do not believe you can be loyal if you have the fear of man that rules your life. I found every person that is so afraid of what people will think, they always tie that with lying. They're one way with one gr group, they're another way with another group. Hello? You know, sometimes it, it, it costs a lot to just stand up and say, this is what I'm for. I, I'm for God. Peter had a problem with fear of man. And, and Paul even addressed him. We're going to see that he addressed him in this chapter. And Paul is saying, I, I, I don't run my life on the fear of man. And so we see that verses 11 through 22, that Paul sa says this. He said, he, got, he talked about how gloriously he got saved. Think about how this shaped his view of the gospel. Here was Paul, who had served in the Sanhedrin. He'd been in the high council of the Jewish people. He was under official orders from the Sanhedrin to go up into Damascus and, and, and capture Christians men and women. Women were suffering uh, martyrdom and, and, and torture in, in, in the first century, which kind of tells you that women were preaching and they were instructing and they were a part of, of, the, of the growth of the Church of Jesus because he, he said he would capture men and women. And there were people that he had put to death, including Stephen. And so here was a guy who, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, and according to the law, he said, he had kept the law from his youth and he was deader than Julius Caesar, spiritually. And on the way, without a prayer, without seeking God, completely deluded to thinking that he had earned some realm of rightness with God by his following of the law, He's knocked down, not off a horse, not off a donkey. The Bible never says that he was knocked off his high horse. He was knocked to the ground from his feet. And then all of a sudden, he begins to hear this voice of God. And for a Jewish guy, they would never ever use the word kurios, which is the Greek word for Lord. 
and he's knocked down. And he said, who are you, Kurios? Who are you, Lord? Immediately, in a moment's notice, he knew. He had been engaged in the pursuit of God, but hadn't touched God. And he knew this was God. And then there's another proof of the divinity of Jesus. The voice said, I am Jesus. Who you persecute. And Paul had a tattoo on his brain that affected every message the rest of his life. Because he knew he was completely hopeless and salvation came from God alone. And the only thing he could do was say yes. And that was fighting words for him for the rest of his life. As he began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he began to see that sometimes religious orders, they do more to keep people from knowing God. Then to us being the bridge to say, come on in, the water is fine. Well, what do I got to do? What kind of a shower? What kind of a self-help? What kind of a creed do I have to memorize? No. You've just got to be able to say, who are you, Kurios? Who are you, God? I've heard so many people talk of being born again, and all they could do was, God, if you're there, would you save me? You don't have to have like four volumes of theology You've got to have the humility to say salvation is of God. And that's what happened to Paul. And in, in verses 11 through 22, he doesn't go into his conversion there, but he talks about when he met the Lord, that, that this revelation was given by God, and he spends time in, in chapter 1 in talking about how that he got saved up in, and, and taken in Damascus and there this uh, disciple Ananias told this guy, talk about a presbytery, he told him, he said, oh by the way, God wants you to know that you're saved and you're going to preach the gospel, the good news to kings and, and you're going to suffer many, many things. Many of us would change churches on that kind of a prophecy. And Paul embraced it. But it changed the way he believed that righteousness was imparted because he knew it was a direct gift from God, paid in full by Jesus. So we see that in verse 23, they, it says that all they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Paul's life itself was a living demonstration of the power of God's grace. We see that chapter 2, and I will read uh, more scripture here. In chapter 2, it says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand 
that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we, we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Wow. So Paul's saying, man, the, the truth of the gospel message is so important that we did not let anybody bully us. We didn't do fear of man, and he's going to get into a fear of man situation. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he, as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we, we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. But now we get into a confrontation that happened over the gospel and the carryover of the gospel slash blended with legalism. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Now, if you read the, if you read the epistles and the, the letters that Paul wrote, Paul was very gentle in confrontation. This seems to be one of the biggest confrontations that, that Paul ever had with a fellow believer. Because he loved Peter, but he had to oppose him in Antioch. Verse 12, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Now, what do you think that did to the Gentile believers? Oh, yeah, if no one else is around, you know, you're my friend, you're my bestie. And then when your buddy is here, you won't even talk to him. Whoa. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led away by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting other mandates than what God does. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, so none of these rules like if you need to correct a child, take him into another room and quietly address him. Peter had violated God's truth in public and Paul addressed him in public. As the Bible said, if, the, if an elder sins, rebuke him in the presence of all, that all may fear. And, and, and Paul was doing this. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are both Jews by birth, and I think he's being sarcastic, and not sinners 
like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person made right with God by faith in it, uh, that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, and not by obeying the law. Okay, go. Verse 16. Verse 16. Ready? Get it, get it, get it. We're going to see the indicator of what, what the gospel is. A person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. All the other behavioral changes that we're going to ever experience as, as believers following Jesus, they are subsequent, not precedent. They're subsequent to being saved. Jesus meets us. Jesus saves us. Jesus takes away our sin by faith alone. Later on, he cleans us up. And we have believed Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. That's the gospel. You are made right through faith in Jesus, not based on our human effort. Some of you are, 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 are sitting there and go, you know, I don't even know what the Jewish people taught, so I definitely, I, I'm, certainly not, I'm certainly not one of those people that, 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 that would be even related to the law. Now, let me just tell you something about religiosity. One of, the, one of the biggest spirits that I fought in this county is a religious spirit. You know? A religious spirit. People, you know, justifying themselves with certain realms of ostensible holiness. And, you know, we're, we're not going to let the girls wear any makeup. And we're, 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 you know, in the holiness movement. And I'm in the holiness movement. And I, I believe that our girls shouldn't dress up like hoochie mamas. Got that, girls? No, not ever, never. Okay. Um, I don't think our, our, our boys need to be seeking harlots and stuff. I'm a holiness guy. But I can tell you this. You can put on an external appearance and miss the internals. Looking like the Quaker Oats guy won't bring you to heaven. Okay. And that's what Paul is addressing here. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is that, that it, you don't have to be brought under the bondage of Jewish law. You can have your own family law. Well, in our family, we don't actually go to church. We don't believe in church because church is the great outdoors and we just feel like, you know, you just kind of reach God in your own way. Oh, dude, you just created your own gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he comes and saves you. You're born of God. And then when you're born of God, you cry out, Abba, Father. And I've never seen one baby that doesn't want to be with their family. So something's wrong with that, 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 that preaching and that teaching. And I've seen people have their own weird, one-family, cultic legalism. Any legalism, whether it's Jewish whether it's coming under, you know, we're real Christians because we worship on Saturday, that's legalism. That was done away at the cross of Jesus Christ. He was the Sabbath. He fulfilled the day. Whether you eat tofu, whether you eat meat, whether you don't eat meat, it can be a health issue, but it's not a, it's not a holiness issue. Hello? 
And so we see here that Paul is saying this. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. That's why he confronted Peter. Pete, you know the rules. You know. Peter went into the house of Cornelius, and, and when, when Corny and the guys all started, you know, when he was explaining the gospel, and they started breaking into speaking in tongues, they knew that, that speaking in tongues was a manifestation of the gift of the Father, and these guys figured out, these Jewish guys figured this out, preaching to these Gentiles. If God says they're clean, who's going to forbid water? Let's baptize them. And here's Pete. He was the one that God gave him. You opened the door, Peter. You're the one that got the key. Why are you throwing the key into the lake? If the door's open, everybody comes in the party now. By the same rules. Circumcised, uncircumcised, get circumcision of your heart. We don't, we're not checking your underwear at the door. Circumcised, uncircumcised. We're not checking. No one's happy about that. <laughs> With Buddy, we're going to make an exception. Okay. Man, I know I'm over time, but I'm into it. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm going to finish. Eventually. I don't know when, but... That's why Peter, uh, Paul was so broken. That's why he nailed a, a, a dear friend that he respected. I think our life should be encouraging to people. Even in our failures. People say, I really failed, I really failed. And I go, good, God, God's going to use it. Not good that it happened but good that you're in, in the family. There's nothing like a person that said, I tried some dumb stuff, and boy, like Dr. Phil said, how'd that work for you? Bad. But look, Jesus has redeemed me. There's nothing that's more inoculates people from coming to Jesus than the person that acts like God was lucky to get them. Lo, these many years I've served the Lord. And God is so gracious for the holiness. And people look at people like that. And if they don't know the difference, they go, I don't think I could ever be that. And Paul was saying, you don't want to be that. He goes on. Verse 19, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. Say, died, died. to the law. It's kind of like, I died to the thing that was killing me. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. I died to the bummer that I might live for God. Where's the downside in this? Martin Luther, on his commentary on Galatians, said this, We despise the grace of God 
when we observe the law for the purpose of being justified. The law is good, holy, and profitable, but it does not justify. To keep the law in order to be justified means to reject grace, to deny Christ, to despise his sacrifice, and to be lost. One of the great verses that everyone should commit to memory, Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Let me just say this. Everybody trying to put on a show, they have to do it away from the cross. The only thing on the cross are dead people. Now, if you could see spiritually the cross, there's Jesus. And Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. Payment came through this like the snake put up on the pole because of Israel's sin. So Jesus said, You're gonna, they're going to lift me up. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. And it's an ugly picture. It's an ugly picture of how rotten I was. It's an ugly picture of how rotten you were or are, or maybe we all are. And Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. When you look at the cross, you see every devout believer, they're up there with Jesus. They're not denying association with Jesus. I only live because he loved me and conveyed away my sins and translated me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. And everyone trying to show off and prove how close to God they're getting, you've got to get off the cross to do that. I want everybody to know how holy I am. I want everybody to, you know, the world needs a manifestation of me. The world doesn't need a manifestation of me or you. It needs a manifestation of the one who's crucified. And Paul said this, he said, he said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. <laughs> I know about you. I'm, 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 I'm happy with the truth of the gospel. I'm happy that it's not my show. It's not your show. The best thing for us is to be no shows and just simple believers that say, I declare that Jesus is the sole agent and broker of my salvation. I put my trust fully in Jesus and not on any good deed I could possibly do. Should you, should you walk into good works according to Ephesians 2.10 and 11, it says you should. For we are his workmanship, created for good works, prepared for those who would walk in him. But it says we've been saved by faith or saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The works follow the cross. Here, we're going to list some truths, and we're going to land this, uh, this session. Number one truth, that we as we discovered the grace of, of, of God, is number one, Christ was sent to fulfill the law. 
including the necessity of the sacrifice for sin forever. Hebrews uh, 10, 14, one of my favorite verses, by one sacrifice, he, Christ, has forever perfected those that are being sanctified or separated. Positionally, when you call on Jesus, you're made perfect immediately. We just have to train you how to walk in your perfection. Isn't that fun? And that's what sanctification is. We learn to walk in, in, in what was given to us freely. Complete righteousness, not partial, complete. The whole warehouse was given to you. You have to learn how to open it up and walk in it. Number two, the gospel is that Christ did the work of righteousness for all who would believe. Righteousness equals made us right with God. Number three, the tipping point is I either live for Christ through grace or I am trusting in some other means to please God. <laughs> well, that's a heavy question, isn't it? You're going to be one or the other. You're either totally trusting in Christ or you've got your works program. Well, I'm not trying to do the Jewish law. Well, what other law are you doing? Because any other law is not grace. Number four, I must allow the Holy Spirit to help me discover the wonder of God's grace afresh in my life. Timothy Keller said this, we must go back again and again to the gospel of Christ crucified so that our hearts are more deeply gripped by the reality of what he did and who we are in him. I'd like to stand up and just tell you a little tiny story no, no, you don't have to stand. You can be seated. Thank you, George and, and Mike, you can, you can be seated. Okay. I'm going to stand up, which is pretty cool because I'm, I'm almost out of the boot. So I'm going to move my booty and get up and tell you something. One warm afternoon, it was a March day in 1971. I don't know what day it was. But I was a 16-year-old kid that was raised in church. I'd been to youth camps. I'd asked Jesus to take away my sins. But God was going to recruit me for the life that I've had since that day in 1971. I was a sophomore in high school. I come in from school, tell my mom hi, zoom into my room, drop my books, sat on my bed, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. God spoke to me and said, there are two roads set before you. One is you're being tempted with the girls and with the offer of drugs and other things. And the, God said to me, I want to take you on a great adventure, but I can't take you until you make a choice. It was like, it was like Paul experienced. Paul didn't schedule his meeting with God. It was in his meeting with God, he understood how weak, utterly helpless to save himself. And it was for me that day, I said to the Lord, and this was my contract in giving my life in my adult conversion. I said, God, I feel so weak. I don't know how I can walk for you and with you. If you'll give me the strength for one day, I'll walk with you. 
when I said that, the power of God coursed through me. I walked in there as a kid saying hi to his mom and I came out <laughs> with eyes, excuse me, eyes of fire. There's a difference when the gospel gets you versus you kind of kind of like, well, I'm kind of a religious person. I kind of like hanging around Joy Church and I kind of like hanging around good people. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. And when you understand the simple gospel, that's what Paul was ready to fight anybody over. Because Paul understood he had done the rules and he was no closer to God. But one touch from Jesus, one manifestation from God, and that's what I pray for everybody in our city of Medford. God, that we could preach the real gospel, that people could really be born again, that we wouldn't just teach them a religious order, but they would see these people have been with Jesus. They're not perfect. They're stumbling. They're hollering. They make mistakes. But every time they, they fall, they get up. And they say, this is why I must trust Him and not trust in myself. That's the good news, Nick. That's what's in your mouth now, Nick. That's what you're going to proclaim now, Nick. Paul said this, he said, Him we preach and not ourselves. I'm tired of people hooting and hollering about themselves. I want to see some people say, we don't care, we're incidental, but Jesus is on the cross and I'm up there with Him because I put Him there. My sins put Him there. Oh dear, the rhinoceros is getting close to the van. Yes, I'm wound up and I will finish. But I don't want to go to heaven and leave people behind trying to justify themselves with some kind of an order. The true gospel, the simple gospel, is that we were helpless to save ourselves. Come on now, is anybody feeling good in your spirit? Is that what you believe about the gospel of Jesus? Let's all stand up. Hallelujah. Johnny's playing that beautiful song, You're Coming After Me. If we could, after we do some prayer, I'd love us if the band would play that. And we would, those of us who would take the time, if you need to jet immediately, that's good. That's fine. But I think for some of us, we need to understand. Paul knew that God came after him. Nick knows that God came after him. I know that God comes after me. Even as a man of God, there are times that I'm so far from him in my heart and my dad keeps coming after me. I really believe this gospel stuff and I'm not impressed with religious people, including myself. We're boring. Let's get to the cross where the fun is, where the life is, where the power is because God comes after us. He wants us. He woos us. He loves us. Amen. Right now, if you're here, and let's close our eyes. If everyone would close your eyes, I want to make a request. If you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Steve, 
this is like cool stuff I'm hearing because I think I need that. I think I need God. If you could boldly just lift up your hand and say, I want to join God. I want him to save me. I want to, I want to be a Christian. Right on. Is there others? You say, man, I, I just want to do this thing. I just want God. Be bold and step on down here. We're going to pray with you. We're all going to pray together. Could, could I get you to take that next step? Just step on down and we're going to pray before you receive Jesus. If you're a little timid, uh, timid, then don't worry. We're cool. We're going to pray the prayer and then come down and talk to uh, some of the prayer team later. How many of you believe it's okay to tell the Lord you're really serious about your salvation? Could we pray this prayer? If you're here and you raise your hand and and you want God in your life, then just repeat this prayer to Dear Father, I thank you for what you did to save me and to save us by sending Jesus to pay for our sins and to rescue us. I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins, to save me, Take away my sins, Lord. Do as you promised. Make me to be a new person. Purified. Crucified with Christ. Yet living in the flesh through your power. Live in me, God. Change my heart. Change my mind. Make me new on the inside. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. I receive you this day, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.